Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast. Today, we are rebroadcasting our interview with Aidan Bodio-Lamaki, a young author and advocate for the conservation of the vaquita. Many of our listeners are likely aware that this past Saturday was International Save the Vaquita Day. And here at Wildlands, we spent a lot of time putting together a very special citywide event here in Boise, Idaho, where I reside. Our partners for this event included the Mexican Consulate Office here in Boise, the Discovery Center of Idaho, Jump Boise, the Aquarium of Boise, and local Mexican restaurant El Gallo Hero. We held screenings of our film, Souls of the Vermilion Sea, gave educational presentations about the vaquita, and held a vaquita march. This Vaquita March was perhaps the highest profile component of this citywide International Save the Vaquita Day event. We had 22 hand-painted and creatively designed Vaquita banners to represent the approximate number of Vaquitas remaining on the planet. We met at the Idaho State Capitol Building and we marched down 8th Street in downtown Boise. Now on Saturdays, 8th Street hosts the Boise Farmer's Market and is open only to pedestrian traffic, so this was an ideal route for our march. We turned a lot of eyes as this strange procession of Vaquita advocates marched through the crowded open-air market and hopefully got some people thinking about endangered species conservation. If you'd like to see footage from the march, you can head over to the show notes page for this episode, which you'll find at wildlensinc.org slash Vaquita Day 2017. Of course, we weren't the only ones hosting events for International Save the Vaquita Day this year. There were events taking place across three continents, including several events in China and numerous events in Mexico. This was the fifth annual International Save the Vaquita Day, and it was Aidan Bodiolamaki who actually played a central role in the creation of this annual event back in 2013, which is in part why we've decided to rebroadcast the interview that we recorded with Aidan over a year ago for episode 44 of the show. Enjoy! I'm here with Aidan Bodiolamaki, who is the president of the Musqua Club, the author of the book, The Vaquita, The Biology of an Endangered Porpoise, and also the creator of the Vaquita-themed website and blog, vlogvaquita.com. How are you doing, Aiden? Good, how are you? I'm fantastic. It's awesome to have you on the show today. Um, the first question that I want to throw at you is the most basic one, which is just how did you first learn about the Vaquita, and how old were you at the time? Um... It was in 2010, I was 10 years old, and I was just uh, going through the internet, just kind of looking around, because uh, I, I was very interested in marine mammals at that time also, so I was looking for a way to adopt a sperm whale, which was my favorite animal at the time, and uh, so I ended up at the Save the Whales website, and in the top corner there was a link to uh, a page about the vaquita, and uh, I had heard about the vaquita before uh, with my field guides. But I had never, uh, uh, I didn't know it was so endangered. So uh, I clicked on it and I read all about it and I was really uh, appalled by the situation. And that's kind of what got me started. Gotcha. So what, what did you do in response to learning about this situation faced by the vaquita? What was sort of the first step in response to learning this information? Um, the first thing I did was uh, I sent an email to Dr. Tom Jefferson through the Viva Vaquita website. And uh, he got back to me right away. And uh, he was really 
receptive of my enthusiasm and uh, sent me a, a package of a bunch of Vikita items and books and stuff. So it was, it was a really great start. So you first learned about the Vikita in 2010 when you were 10 years old. Um, it's now 2015, which means that you've been working to help save this species for a third of your life um, <laughs> at this point. I guess I'm just wondering how that feels. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it, feels, it feels good. I have a lot of time invested into it, so I, I definitely do not want to see anything bad happen to the species. Yeah, it's clear that you have a, a really strong commitment to this conservation effort to save the vaquita. Um, however, despite that, I mean, a, a lot has happened uh, to vaquita populations you know, during this five-year period um, during which you've been involved. Um, I mean, maybe you can just kind of take a moment to kind of summarize from your perspective, like what you have seen uh, happen to vaquita populations, you know, since you first got involved back in 2010. Yeah, so uh, when I first started, the population was estimated to be 246 individuals, which of course is extremely low. And uh, it was really, I was amazed that there was a species that was so endangered that nobody pretty much has even heard of. And then uh, th there was not much conservation going on. It was, it was right after uh, the big 2008 expedition. So that, that was the big story at the time. Uh, that's also around the time when Chris Johnston's documentary came out. So that was one of the first things I watched about the vaquita. And uh, I got a good overview of the situation. And then... As time went on, there kept being new reports of the population getting lower and lower, which we thought was due to, uh, and probably was due to, uh, the f shrimp fishery. But then in, in 2014, uh, this po population plummeted to 97 individuals, and we uh, discovered the resurgence of the illegal totoaba fishery, which was... It was really disturbing because we had we had no idea that it was happening. We thought it was a problem of the past, and uh, it turned out to be the new biggest threat of the vaquita. And now recently, there's been some of the biggest strides during my entire time with the vaquita, which is really encouraging. And hopefully, hopefully, uh, the Mexican government will do enough to save it. You know, there, there's sort of this question that uh, that that comes up. You know, whenever a group of people are trying to address uh, a, a really sort of critical conservation threat to a species, uh, like what's happening with vaquita, um, when they're in this sort of crisis period where it, it seems like it could go either way, like the species could be extinct in just a few years, or we could sort of turn it around and bring it back. Um, yeah. And you know, I think there are. A handful of individuals and organizations that that have probably already given up hope for the vaquita at this point you know with less than 100 individuals remaining and despite the fact that you know this uh two-year ban on the use of gill nets has been implemented by mexico you know there are all, still a lot of sort of unanswered questions and a lot of difficulties associated with the actual enforcement of that ban um, right. so i guess my, my question for you is what would you say to folks that you know maybe have given up hope already um well First off, I will definitely never give up hope, even if there are only like five individuals left. 
there's still there's always still a possibility of recovery. Uh, a lot of a lot of animals have recovered from smaller populations than the vaquita is at right now, uh, e- even in Mexico. So that's a really good sign. Mexico knows how to save species that are on the absolute brink of extinction. And also, the vaquita is a species that uh, it's, it has evolved to uh, survive very low numbers. It is always, it's always had a small population. So their, their genetics are uh, specialized for surviving very, very low population sizes. So a vaquita, the vaquita probably is more adapted than any other species, any other marine mammal, to uh, survive such low numbers. So... It's definitely not going to be too late. There, there have been uh, even more amazing recoveries. The vaquita really can recover. You know, it's really important to point out successful um, endangered species recovery programs. You know, situations in the past with other species that have, you know, dropped down to to really, really low numbers, and in some cases even lower than um, where the vaquita population is at right now. And they have recovered successfully. Right, like um, the elephant seal uh, in Mexico was down to only a handful of individuals, and now there's in the high thousands, or hundreds of thousands even. So it's definitely possible. Absolutely, yeah. And that, that's a really good example that, that um, we've sort of brought up as well. And the other important point that, that you bring up um, is the issue over the genetics of the vaquita, um, which I think is another really important point for folks to consider because every time you start talking about a species that has dropped to such low numbers, less than 100 individuals, people start to worry about uh, genetic diversity. And even if, you know, we're able to eliminate the threats to the vaquita, you know, is it sort of doomed no matter what because of low genetic diversity within the population because it's so small? Um, and it turns out with the vaquita, um, that's really not the case. Um, and the reason for that is that um, the, the population is sort of naturally small and has likely undergone uh, sort of a genetic bottleneck at some point in the past um, and survived that. So it sort of has this naturally low genetic diversity and, like you said, this um, sort of ability to uh, deal with uh, a, a bottleneck like this better than, than probably most other species because it's gone through similar situation in the past. Um, and that's something that we talked um, in depth about with uh, Dr. Barbara Taylor um, on a previous episode of the podcast. So folks can check that out if they want to get some more in-depth information on, you know, specifically the genetics, the population genetics of the vaquita. So realistically, it's going to take many people working from lots of different angles to address this issue and successfully save the vaquita from extinction. What role do you see yourself as playing in this sort of large uh, vaquita recovery effort? Um, because I am uh, so far away from the vaquita in proximity, uh, I can't really do anything uh, physical, like on the water or uh, community outreach in Mexico. So the best thing in my opinion, that I could do is uh, online outreach and through social media and things like that and really just trying to get the word out to as many people as we can. And so I think that that's, that's my uh, kind of niche in the, in the effort. You know, a lot of our listeners are probably in a similar situation where, you know, they don't live anywhere near where the Vaquita lives um, in uh, northwestern Mexico, um, and, you know, maybe they're learning about this species for the first time and want to 
find a way to to help um, to help the species in some way. Um, and I think sort of using the, your example, like what you have done and all that you've accomplished um, in sort of spreading awareness about this species within the U.S., um, I, I think it's really important to sort of highlight that as a way to show folks that, you know, you do have the ability to uh, to have an impact. Um, right. So, uh, I mean, I guess, is, is, is there anything else that, I mean, w when you talk to people about vaquita or when you give presentations um, about the species, you know, what, what do you tell people about, um, you know, how to get involved in the issue? Um, well, th there are a lot of ways to get involved, but I think some of the best ways for... Uh people that, that, that don't live near the Vaquita are to uh, spread the word online, uh, donate to uh, Vaquita organizations, uh, sign petitions, and uh, be responsible with your seafood consumption. I think those are the four best ways to help the Vaquita. And just stay, stay updated with all the, all the developments on Facebook or my blog. And uh, just, yeah, stay... Stay in the loop and do whatever do whatever you can. The URL for your blog is uh, vlogvaquita.com. So that's a, a really good resource for folks that are looking to sort of get those updates on vaquita conservation issues. I want you to tell me a little bit about the Musquaw Club. Um, how did you first get involved in this group? And I mean, what, what is the Musquaw Club? Okay, so the Musquaw Club is a student-run organization that... Uh, specializes in conservation and particularly the vaquita effort and uh so the the muscle club contacted me about two years ago through my website uh the president at the time william wittenbury uh found my found my blog and, and emailed me and uh ever since then we've had a really good partnership and uh now i'm actually the president of the muscle club and uh so what what the muscle club does uh it their their main effort is uh, having tables around the country for a uh, vaquita for the vaquita and uh our our, our biggest accomplishment is uh International State of the Vaquita Day which is in July every every year for the past 3 years and uh it's it's become a, a huge event last year had 22 tables around the world uh promoting the vaquita's cause and uh We've educated thousands and thousands of people about the vaquita. I was one of those 22 uh, folks that were giving presentations this past year at International Save the Vaquita Day here in here in Boise, Idaho, um, at the <laughs> Aquarium of Boise. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I mean, you reached us, you reached uh, this little corner of Idaho. So I want you to tell me a little bit more about your website and blog. When, when did you first start this the this website um i started vlog in 2011 uh about a year after i found out about the the cause and it really just started off as a way to for me to like post poems and like little vaquita facts that i read online and it was it wasn't really anything special but um as it kept going uh i got a lot more people uh a lot more views and people seemed to be really interested so I, uh, as I got more involved with the Vaquita conservation effort, I was able to really elaborate on my website. And uh, now, now it's mainly just a news website for the Vaquita. And it's one of the, like, the few like, news outlets that are specifically for the Vaquita where you can find out all the information that's going on and all the updates. And I also have 
pages where you can learn about how to help the vaquita, uh, pictures of the vaquita, things like that. Yeah, it's a really fantastic resource. And uh, once again, I'll just share that URL. It's vlogvaquita.com. You can check that out there. Um, so I'm just sort of wondering, you know, sort of the progression of events here. So, I mean, you first learned about the vaquita in 2010. You started your uh, website in 2011. Um, at, at what point did you decide to start writing a book about this species? Um, I think it was around the same time or a little after I started a vlog. So about 2011 or 12. And I, I just started, I, I started writing the book because I really wanted a vaquita book and I couldn't find any online or anything. So I, I thought I would just write one myself. So I just started writing it and it was, it, it was basically just an overview of the, the, the vaquita itself. And, uh, so once the Muscle Club contacted me, uh, William's mother, uh, Beth, she had, uh, she, she, uh, had contacts at a, a publishing company. So I was able to get that, uh, published, which, which was really awesome. I don't think I, w- I would have stuck with the book if, if they hadn't told me about that. So that was great. And then the, the second edition came out early this year and I, I really updated it with, in terms of, uh, the conservation effort and helping the vaquita. So it's a, it's a lot longer now, and I added more illustrations and things like that. Um, I, I guess I'm just sort of wondering, you know, what this process was like. I mean, you started writing this book about the vaquita when you were only 11 or 12 years old. Um, it's just, uh, it, 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 I mean, that, that in and of itself seems really amazing to me. Um, it's <laughs> a whole lot more productive than anything I was doing at that age. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, how did you find time to to work on this you know in addition to all of the schoolwork and other stuff you had going on at that point yeah um i guess i just instead of doing like instead of like watch watching tv or playing video games at night i, I guess i would just sit on my computer and just write a little bit at a time um yeah i didn't have too much homework back then so it, that, that wasn't that big of a deal it's interesting. I think, you know, you ask any author and I think they'll tell you the same thing, you know, uh, at least folks who sort of, you know, have to find that little block of time every single day to just focus on on writing um, in order to sort of reach that ultimate end goal of having, uh, you know, a, a finished book um, ready to publish. Um, and it's, yeah. it's, it's amazing that you, it's amazing to me that you sort of um, figured that out on your own of like what you needed to do to accomplish this, this larger goal um, at such a young age. It's, it's really remarkable. Thank um, you. I imagine that the process of writing this book connected you with um, many of the world's foremost experts on the Vaquita. Um, I mean, what, what was it like to, to, um, to talk with all these people and, and sort of get this information from them for your book? Well, yeah, I mean, it was great. Like in my eyes at the time, they were they were like celebrities to me, so it was really exciting to even get one email from them, let alone like talking with them and having them like really help me and teach me about the vaquita. It was it was really exciting. Your book presents sort of you know basic biology of the species and information about conservation of the vaquita, um, but it sort of blends this factual information um, with. Uh, poetry, original poetry that you wrote, as well as um, 
drawings and illustrations of, of the Vaquita. Um, so it's very much this sort of blend of science and art, which, which I really love and is sort of central to a lot of the work that, that we do here at Wild Lens as well. What led you to include this, this poetry and this artwork alongside the factual information about the species? Um, yeah, I, I think growing up, a lot of my favorite books kind of blended art with, with information, and I, I feel like it really helped me understand things better, it, being able to see it and being like, inspired by it as opposed to just reading facts. So I also I happen to really like drawing and uh, writing, so it was, it was kind of, it was kind of a convenient. So I, I just included everything that I could to try to make people really appreciate the situation and the vaquita. I'm wondering if um, if you've ever connected with any like similar age students from Mexico that are uh, interested in getting involved with vaquita uh, conservation and recovery efforts. Um, yeah, well, the Muscle Club has a few uh, a few members in Mexico that have been really have been really awesome, and they they've had tables in Mexico. So I think we we have a really good beginning the beginnings of a really great uh, program in Mexico, and hopefully we can really expand and have a lot more people in the Vaquitas communities that are really trying to uh, help the Vaquita. Also, the the fact that they, they would be uh, uh, kids would make it really powerful because they're the future of the Vaquitas conservation because they're going to be the next generation of fishermen or hotel owners or restaurant owners or... Any, anything like that. So they really are going to define what happens to the vaquita. What makes this issue and your efforts um, related to vaquita, I mean, is, is this bigger than the vaquita? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, whatever happens with the vaquita, I think will have a really big effect on the future of many, many species, especially because the, the vaquita's threat is seen throughout the world for so many other uh, marine species. And, uh, yeah, I think if, if we saved the vaquita, it'd be an incredible example for other communities on uh, how to coexist with species and also how to overcome the gillnet situation. But if we do not save the vaquita, it will send a message that we don't really, we don't really care enough and we're not going to try hard enough to uh, save the species. And... If we can't save the vaquita, who only has one, one major threat, how do we expect to save species that have like 10 or 15 threats? So I really think it's important that we send a really positive message throughout the world that we can, we can save these endangered species that we're, that we're destroying. We're at a point now um, in the history of this planet where you know, we're sort of standing on the brink of the sixth mass extinction event. Um, which is being caused largely by human activity. Like, how, how do you sort of find hope in that? Well, yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I think I probably wouldn't be doing this if I didn't have hope for the future. Um, I really do think that we, we can save our planet from what we've done to it over the past few hundred years, and we're, we're not in good shape if we aren't able to succeed. So we pretty much don't have an option, and I think, luckily, there's still there's still time to save the species that we st- that we have, and have these species 
survive way past all of our lifetimes and continue to keep the ecosystems healthy and keep the keep the world turning do you feel like you have a very different perspective or different outlook on conservation issues like what's happening with the vaquita yeah i i think i think the main difference is that people that are younger they they really have to they have to care because they're the ones who are going to see what happens not like the older generations they can, they they all of course they really they do care but they're not they're not going to be the ones that see the outcome of all this either good or bad work so yeah i think as a, as the youngest generation it really matters to us because if if we if we don't fix fix our act like we're we're going to be the ones that are going to be punished by it it's inspirational, you know, to me to to see someone like yourself in, in, in the position that you're at, you know, just sort of uh, going all in and, and committing yourself to to this issue. Um, it's, Thank you. Um, yeah, it's really amazing. Um, and I would encourage folks, you know, one last time to, to check out your website, vlogvaquita.com. Um, you can get yourself a copy of Aiden's book about the vaquita on that website. And... Uh, yeah, it was a fan- fantastic talking with you, Aiden, and uh, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, that was our interview with Vakita expert and author Aiden Bodiolamaki. I can't help but wonder where I might be today if I'd spent more time writing and less time in front of the TV when I was Aiden's age. <laughs> Aiden talks about this in such a nonchalant way. Of course he had time to write and publish a book at age 13, but it is truly an impressive achievement. The most inspiring component of this conversation, however, is Aiden's refusal to give up hope, not just for the Vaquita, but for the planet as a whole. I would strongly encourage folks to check out Aiden's website, vlogvaquita.com, and order a copy of his book about the Vaquita. Learn more about this fascinating species, and let's help Aiden spread some of this optimism and hope throughout the conservation world. Of course, that link to Aiden's site, along with other relevant links, can be found on the show notes page for this episode at wildlensinc.org slash EOC44. This episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky. Our theme music is by The Humidors. The Humidors.